BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The chief executives of Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon will face questions from members of a House Judiciary Subcommittee tomorrow about whether they've become too big, too powerful, and have engaged in anti-competitive practices. The hearing marks the first time that Amazon's Jeff Bezos will testify before Congress, joining Apple's Tim Cook, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, and Google Sundar Pichai. We look at whether the hearing could lead to tighter controls on the world's most powerful tech companies. Joining us is Rachel Myro, senior editor for KQED's Silicon Valley News Desk. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. And also with us is David McCabe, reporter covering technology policy for the New York Times. Thanks for being with us, David McCabe. Thank you for having me. And if I could start with you, David, I mean, could you just give us some context into how this hearing, which I should note will be virtual, uh, even came to be? Absolutely. So this is the capstone of the House Judiciary Committee's antitrust subcommittee's investigation of the power of these four big tech companies. Uh, it started about a year ago. Uh, uh, the lawmakers announced that they were going to look at the power of these companies and look at what their dominance and, and sort of their stories might mean for whether or not antitrust law works in America to police the largest corporations. They've gone through 1.3 million documents, uh, done hundreds of hours of interviews, uh, and this is sort of the big capstone event. Okay, so it's been this like more than year-long investigation. I mean, what is the likelihood that say, meaningful legislation to prevent these companies from becoming too big, that that will happen. Um, what do you think would be the result of this, David McCabe? So we know that the subcommittee, which is led by a Rhode Island Democrat named David Cicilline, who's very aggressive on these issues, that they want to produce a report uh, that sort of lays out uh, the weaknesses or, or strengths and, and abilities of antitrust law, which would sort of chart a path forward uh, for for the law and presumably prevent sort of a roadmap for lawmakers who might want to change it. Now, it's one thing to recommend changes to the law. It's quite another to get them passed and signed. Obviously, we're coming up on a presidential election that often slows things down in Congress. Uh, they are focused on addressing the pandemic, uh, on addressing the, the pretty unprecedented economic crisis in the country. Uh, and so there are, a lot of, there are a lot of reasons why it might take a long time to go from recommendations to actual law. And Rachel Myro, what's been the reaction in Silicon Valley to this? 
<laughs> well, I, I think a lot of people are very excited, you know, as David mentioned, or maybe it was you, uh, Bezos, this is going to be his first time in front of that bank of cameras. Uh, and we are really looking at the at the tech titans of uh, of this gilded age, as, as I think uh, David wrote in the New York Times recently. Um, but here's the thing, you know, I, I don't think anyone is either quaking in their boots at the prospect of, you know, a, a sudden return to enforcement of antitrust law in America in the next few months. Um, or, or conversely, feeling that they will finally be vindicated because you know they have been uh, working with smaller companies that have been squashed uh, by these these tech titans. I mean, in, in truth, you can't just blame political gridlock during the Trump administration. Uh, antitrust law at you know, the federal level has been gathering dust for four administrations now, you know, and, and bipartisan when you think about it, not just Bush and Trump, but also Obama and Clinton. And I think what you also highlight there is just the fact that antitrust law is pretty antiquated, according to a lot of analysts. And perhaps that's the reason that tech has been able to grow so dramatically over this time, because the laws might not really address the newer innovations in tech. But you mentioned Bezos and you mentioned Amazon. So let's break down some of the, the key things that the lawmakers are likely to question these CEOs on. So David McCabe, what are the biggest concerns with Amazon? So for Amazon, the watchword is private label. So if you think about when you go to the supermarket and you see the supermarket brand of cereal next to next to you know your name brand cereal, Amazon does that too. They make batteries under the Amazon Basics name, uh, computer cables, all kinds of things, clothing, uh, and essentially their questions are whether or not they use their broad visibility into the third-party sellers, the outside merchants who use their platform to sell different products to basically build better products to compete with them. Amazon has denied that this occurs. Uh, they say that, uh, in fact, private label is not uh, as big a part of its business as it would be at that grocery store, but certainly that may come up. Uh, and this question of have they used the data to build businesses to compete with the very merchants that use their platforms. And Rachel, this sounds a bit familiar with what Apple uh, is being investigated for. Basically, there are claims that it also, you know, gives its own apps special treatment, maybe after learning about other features in other apps that want to be part of its app store. Um, can you talk about how Apple is being targeted here? Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a good way to think about this is you've got a sampler pack of potato chips before you. Uh, you know, that someone has ranch dressing, one has barbecue, but fundamentally they're all potato chips. Uh, another way of thinking about it is that these tech titans, they run these platforms. And so you, you could argue that, you know, antitrust law doesn't address what they're doing digitally, uh, but they all in some form or fashion stifle competition uh, in ways that consumers may not be conscious of, consciously aware, uh, you know, although you could argue you're paying, you know, $2 extra on that Apple app because Apple is taking, you know, 30% off the top. And as uh, recently reported, I believe also in the New York Times, uh, reaches out to companies like Airbnb when they develop a new product within the app that that is a money generator, Airbnb, for instance, 
in the pandemic era now offering virtual cooking classes. You know, Apple wants 30% of that too. And, you know, Airbnb may be big enough to fight back and at least negotiate. But think about that for a smaller company when you have this giant Apple coming after you and saying, you know, we want a piece of your profits or, or you're off our platform, which is another way of saying you're nowhere in the Apple universe. Mm. That's a great deal of, of market power, uh, market domination, market warping. Um, and, you know, I, I would listen to those academics who say that antitrust law does allow for regulators uh, to get in there and discuss what those companies are doing, uh, even as that law exists today, even though it's all digital. And what does Apple say about those accusations about how it uses the power of its platform? Oh, it's a long-standing policy. They're just applying the policy, uh, you know. That they created. No. Right, the policy that they created. And, you know, to expand this to Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, this is a big issue, too. When critics go to this platform that has a proven ability to warp democratic discussion, small-D democratic discussion, across the globe, and they say, you know, what are you doing to, you know, uh, crimp hate speech or stop somebody like like, you know, President Trump posting misinformation on his Facebook page, Zuckerberg will commonly say, oh, we're just applying matters of policy. And if the policy doesn't scale, we can't hold the policy. But the problem with that, of course, is that it doesn't account for the impact of that policy on the wider community that Facebook purports to serve. So, so you know, it, it's interesting to see some of the same issues, just different flavors, cropping up with each of these platforms. Well, let me invite our listeners to join the conversation. We're talking about tomorrow's Congressional Subcommittee Antitrust Hearing where the CEOs of Amazon, Facebook, Apple, and Google have been called to testify. What are your questions for our guests? Rachel Myro, senior editor of KQED's Silicon Valley News Desk, and David McCabe, a reporter who covers technology policy for the New York Times. What would you like to see happen at tomorrow's hearing? What regulations do you think tech should have, especially these particular companies? 866-733-6786 is the number to call. 866 you can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum. You can email us at forum at kqed.org. And, and so David McCabe, Rachel, touch a little bit on Facebook as well as Apple. And I mean, Facebook's acquisitions have really raised uh, the, <laughs> the arrow, the antenna of the lawmakers. Can you talk about what some of their biggest concerns are about face, Facebook? Yeah, so Facebook has made a number of acquisitions over the year, but there are years that there are two that are of particular interest to the subcommittee, and that is the acquisition of Instagram, the photo sharing app, uh, and of WhatsApp, the messenger that's used around the world and has sort of secure communications features. Uh, and essentially the question is, do they acquire companies uh, 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 that were going to be competitors and, and basically shut down nascent competition by buying these companies. Uh, what Mark Zuckerberg will say tomorrow to the subcommittee, and, and earlier today I reviewed uh, his testimony, uh, he will make it clear that the case that they're laying out is that in fact those apps were able to become successes, that they were able to become better for consumers because they had access to Facebook's resources because Facebook bought them. So that's sort of the two sides of this debate. Uh, uh, and even beyond the House subcommittee, those questions are the subject of, of investigation by the Federal Trade Commission, which has the ability to actually bring this to a court, which would be uh, interesting and, and uh, sort of add a new dimension to this. 
And finally, David McCabe, talk about Google. I mean, you, I knew, have done some extensive reporting on Google and potentially how they will respond to concerns about their use of their their search and ad software. So tell us more about them. Absolutely. So uh, Google, uh, like a lot of these companies, actually does a lot of things. And, and some of them are very visible to consumers and some of them are not. Uh, so there's one set of concerns that I would say consumers might instantly understand. And that's about search, right? Does Google uh, take its most valuable real estate, that, that set of search results, and do they arrange it in such a way that it pushes uh, people towards their products? or pushes them towards results that they've aggregated straight in the feed, right? Not driving traffic to publishers or, or other websites. And then there's this whole other part of Google's business, which is selling ads both on those search results and on websites around the web, right? On a news publisher's website, for example. And that second bucket of concerns is whether or not Google's control over basically every piece of software that sits between the buyers of advertisements, uh, uh, so an advertiser like Ford Motors or something like that, and the seller of advertisements, a news publisher, for example, the seller of ad space, like a news publisher, for example, do they use that control to basically advantage their own systems, advantage their own bidders, uh, and make more money? And and. They have started to hone their defense on both of those points. The search uh, arguments have been litigated a little bit more publicly on the ad arguments they're the subject of inquiry around the world. And Google has basically said, you know, our system is open to all. We don't control a lot of this market. Uh, and in fact, we've been able to innovate in this space. And how has that uh, defense, how did that fly in other places that were targeting Google or concerned <laughs> about it? Uh, well, we will see. So the, 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 I wrote about a paper they filed, or their, their lawyer and, and economist uh, filed in Australia, and, and that remains the subject of an ongoing review. It's not quite the same as an antitrust case. I certainly think, uh, broadly, uh, Google's arguments will be met by skepticism from some, uh, but, but it certainly does remain to be seen whether or not they can build enough of a defense that they can sort of dissuade regulators from looking at this seriously or dissuade a judge or a jury from taking them seriously should those claims go to court. All right. So, Rachel, Myra, let me ask you this. I mean, we have watched some previous hearings, say, with Mark Zuckerberg, especially when there were concerns about data privacy and various other things. And, you know, some lawmakers have appeared to be pretty ill-equipped, actually, to handle questioning tech companies about complicated matters uh, in their organizations. Do you think this will be better? I do. I do. You know, in, in large part, because who's who's leading, who's the the, the ringmaster for uh, tomorrow's hearing? It's it's David Cicilline. And, you know, he has been uh, leading this uh, massive investigation into antitrust issues. Uh, you know, I, the Democrat from Rhode Island is, is uh, I think, going to do his best to uh, go toe to toe with these folks, although you can imagine that you know all four uh, uh, chief honchos have had entire teams helping them ensure that they try, you know don't make a gaffe that becomes memeable on social media um and you know the, the larger question again going forward is you know what will come out of this there the the gridlock has been so intense despite the fact that there are lawmakers who um, do know what they're talking about uh, and have a great deal of uh, ability to, you know, uh, wrangle rational arguments as to why there needs to be change uh, in the law at the federal level instead of just leaving it to, to the court system, leaving it to state attorneys general, because they do not have the power to bring these companies to heel. 
What do you think, David McCabe? I mean, I also wonder because I think it's interesting that they have these four high-profile leaders all together in one hearing, and I just wonder how substantive the questioning can be. the question. Uh, these are four witnesses, as you said, extremely high profile, some of them uh, sort of personally famous too, right? Uh, so of great interest to people. Uh, but these companies are, are subject to four different sets of issues, the sort of variety pack uh, that Rachel was talking about. And so I think one, one challenge for lawmakers is going to be managing to dive deep enough on these genuinely complex issues uh, uh, that they can manage to dig, dig beyond the talking points. Uh, that these that these CEOs will be able to be able to bring. I think that's probably what uh, the the subcommittee has been prepping to do. I also think there's a question about whether or not lawmakers decide that they want to basically go off the antitrust topic and address one of the many other uh, set of questions and controversies around these companies. For example, conservatives on the committee may raise this prospect of you know are our views being treated fairly on the platforms uh, and. Uh, and I suspect that, for example, Democrats may have serious concerns about Amazon's treatment of, of labor and, and the people who work uh, in its warehouses. And so I, I think that's the other aspect, right? How focused are they on the antitrust questions? And then uh, how long do they stay on them before, before going on to other questions? Well, let me go to listener Paul in San Francisco. Hi, Paul. Hi. Um, my objection to the way they're doing it is I was censored. And I found out the way that it happened was an algorithm censored me. It was not even a human being that censored me. Um, and so they're not using reasonable um, constitutional norms to censor those of us. And millions of people have been censored. I had 11 years of video. I had millions of followers. My main stuff was on solar energy. And um, so the fact that they 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 kicked me off and i hired a lawyer and the lawyer says well it looks really helpless but i showed him this case of a doctor in bakersfield who all he did to be censored was do an interview on abc about the fact that he had interviewed 6,500 people patients of his and he showed that the the rate of infection of the coronavirus in bakersfield was about the same as the flu, and this is an MD. And, and Paul, no... what platform was this? Of YouTube. Oh, YouTube okay. Thank the, you. The Bakersfield case is famous. It's Dr. Dan Erickson. But the one where you had your frustrating experience, um, I, I guess it sounds like, and this must be related to Google. First, Paul, I'm sorry you had such a frustrating experience. Rachel Myro, it's, he's reminding me of where public sentiment towards these giant tech companies has gone and whether that's going to put additional pressure on these lawmakers to really do something substantive in the regulatory way related to them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, for sure, politicians on both sides of the aisle are keenly enthusiastic about sort of uh, uh, jumping on uh, this dogpile on tech uh, because there are lots of stories like this one. And it, it actually gets at an issue which is also under discussion in Washington, D.C., but may or may not pop up in this particular hearing, and that's Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Basically, it gets at this question, you know, are we looking here at a dessert topic? 
topping or a floor wax? Are we looking at a publisher making editorial judgments, uh, you know, and as we've just heard from Paul, right, you know, it's a, an algorithm decides to bump him off. Or are we looking at a mindless platform just using, uh, you know, algorithms to decide, you know, oh, you hit the wrong keyword, you're making the wrong assessment, we're just going to automatically shut you off. And this is a really big issue because this particular law has provided a kind of legal liability shield for many of these companies. Um, you know, it's especially the one, the social media platforms in particular. And un unless and until that gets addressed in law, you may never see um, substantive change in the way these publishers, <laughs> I'll call them publishers, operate uh, because they don't expect the hammer to come down on them. Well, Chris asks, since these software platforms tend to become monopoly-like, if not quite monopolies, why can't they be regulated like public utilities? David McCabe? So that, this is a, a subject that has been around uh, for some time, this idea that, well, we treat uh, something like Comcast, you know, we treat it, we treat uh, ISPs like public utilities uh, or common carriers, or we, we have tried to in the past, uh, because it's this question of do they dominate uh, do they dominate sort of uh, the means of communication, right? Uh, and and the, the people have gone back and forth on that question with regard to ISPs. Uh, and certainly it's, it's sort of equally controversial with regard to a uh, company like Google or Facebook. Uh, I mean, I think, I think that would require uh, probably an act of Congress. Uh, it certainly would be a sea change in how these things are regulated. Um, certainly that kind of regulation often comes with rate regulation. Uh, uh, and the question is, what would that look like? What would that regulation look like? Uh, but certainly that is a, that is a topic that comes up from time to time and a proposal that comes up from time to time is people try and basically wrap their hands around these companies that are sort of like, uh, nothing they've ever seen before. And uh, you mentioned some of the other issues that could come up in the hearing, for example, concerns about whether or not conservative voices are being stifled on these platforms, particularly on Facebook, for example, that's come up quite a bit. You also mentioned some of the labor issues related to Amazon. Um, also, Democrats might be very interested in whether or not Facebook is going to regulate uh, the the statements of, of the president or campaign ads more strictly. I mean, there's a lot that they could talk about. But I think one thing that's striking, David McCabe, is that it does feel like the ire is bipartisan. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, I do think it's bipartisan uh, broadly. But as you alluded to, there's not always consensus around what, right. what deserves the ire, right? Uh, and so, you know, I don't know that you'll see necessarily unity on some of those issues you mentioned, uh, uh, right? In some cases, they're actually, they're, they actually can be fairly divisive among members of Congress. Um, but broadly speaking, I think it is true that, uh, that many of these lawmakers are frustrated for different reasons with these companies. Uh, and it, it doesn't mean that there's necessarily an obvious ally on the committee uh, for these CEOs as they, as they virtually stare down these questions. And David McCabe, I was struck by the headline to your latest piece that just came out this morning that mentions preparing for their big tobacco moment. I mean, can you just talk about sort of the taint potentially that coming before a congressional <laughs> committee to answer these kinds of questions potentially has? It sounds like, at least from your headline. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that is, of course, a reference to the famous hearing in the, in, in the 90s, in which uh, the executives of major tobacco companies stood before a, a congressional committee and swore to tell the truth. And they raised their they raised their hands to be sworn in. Someone snapped a photo. Probably many people snapped a photo. Uh, uh, and that photo has become sort of synonymous with the industry's spin uh, around whether or not cigarettes were addictive. Uh, and so I, I think certainly this this has the potential to to bring together all these CEOs for sort of a, a representative moment of, of the backlash against these companies. But this is where it, it really does pay to think about uh, what it means to have a virtual hearing versus an in-person hearing. Uh, when an executive comes before Congress in person, they're sort of humbled by the experience of the thing. You know, they have to use the same hallways that I use when I cover a hearing. Maybe they even have to use the same entrance. Uh, then they sit down and they're literally looking up at the lawmakers themselves who, who sit on an elevated dais. Sometimes they have to walk up, say hello, and sort of crane their necks. And then you have those photographers uh, that, that one of you mentioned earlier, right, snapping these photos. Uh, and, and the message is clear, right, that the government is in charge. Uh, in this case, uh, they have a lot more control over the backdrop, the literal backdrop for their appearance. Uh, uh, and I, I think that, that that is a huge open question for me as someone who covers Congress is, is what does what do the sort of symbolic uh, elements of a virtual hearing look like versus an in-person hearing. Well, this listener writes, can you talk more about the smaller companies? Are they putting much hope in this? I mean, Rachel Myro, can you talk about some of the companies that really have a stake in something emerging <laughs> that is substantive from these hearings that really does help to kind of tighten uh, the restrictions on these companies? Well, you know, I'm just thinking right now of one of them, Sonos, which sued Google not too long ago, claiming the company stole its wireless speaker technology. Uh, or, you know, there's a, there's a, a Wall Street Journal article out this week talking about uh, tech startups that reached out to Amazon's, uh, you know, investor fund, you know, with pitches, only to find Amazon grabbed the idea and ran with it on the, on their own. Um, you know, these are examples of market misbehavior uh, that have gone unchecked for decades now. And so, you know, I, I don't think small business owners have any hope that anything is going to change substantively in, in the near future. What do you think, David McCabe? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, that, that's, that's right, that, that immediate change does not seem uh, likely, I do think that smaller companies are taking this as an opportunity uh, to get their concerns before the public, right? Uh, it's not often that if, if the CEO of the company you've been complaining about for years appears in public and you can sort of potentially force them to get on the record on the thing you care about. So certainly they're engaging uh, in some level of lobbying a committee to, to get the questions asked that they want asked. Uh, they also, of course, have spent time with, with regulators and with law enforcement urging these cases on. Uh, but I think I think it is certainly true that that is a, a strategy that plays out more in the long term than the short term. And I mean, ultimately, David McCabe, as you were saying that this will be virtual, this won't necessarily have all of the same sort of optics and pressure that an in-person hearing would have. And since we don't know anything about Bezos, right, really in terms of how he performs in these environments, can you, just mm -hmm. before we go, give us what you can expect? I mean, do you think that he's pretty capable of handling questioning or grilling from lawmakers? Or uh, or do you think that this could actually show some vulnerabilities? 
I mean, I think it's it's always hard to tell. He has not done a lot of extended interviews, press interviews in a long time about Amazon, for example. Uh, he has done some sort of uh, softer interview setting appearances. He tends uh, to be fairly focused and, and fairly uh, uh, good in those settings. Um, but it is certainly the big question that, that we, we don't have a lot to compare this to in terms of his uh, uh, appearances. One thing that I will be watching for is how he addresses questions if he gets them about his personal wealth, uh, right? He is the richest person in the world. And so in that way, more than any other member of this panel of witnesses, uh, has, has been seen by many as sort of a, a symbol of inequality, right? Mm -hmm. He runs this giant company, he's gotten very rich, and the people who work for him uh, uh, have not gotten nearly as rich. So I am interested to see how he responds to that question, because it's not just about Amazon, it's about him personally. Well, David McCabe, he's a reporter covering technology policy for the New York Times. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Also, Rachel Myro, senior editor of our Silicon Valley News Desk here at KQED. Thanks so much for being on as well. Thank you. And thanks so much to our listeners for their questions and comments. The hearing tomorrow will be broadcast on YouTube, is my understanding, at around 9 a.m. And uh, Judy Campbell produced this segment. Ariana Prell produced our segment on Portland. And I'm Mina Kim. Thanks so much for listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.